This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase. Football, baseball, basketball, and more. You're listening to Fantrax Radio, the home of fantasy sports talk. Rotoware.com. Rotoware. Big shout out to the Rotoware uh, company. It's so comfortable. Can't recommend them enough, man. Yeah. High quality t shirts. Shout out to Rotoware.com. You see me rocking the shirts on the videos and stuff like that. Where'd you get that? Rotoware. That is courtesy of Rotoware. It's just it's just the highest quality of shirts. Yeah, I really like the baseball designs you got here. The shirt is beautiful. Everybody who I've talked to who has the shirt basically says they can't believe how good the quality is. Yeah, kid, I've seen you've been getting a lot of love. You said you've been only running for a little over a month. CBS guy. Guys are tweeting out shirts. I'm seeing fantasy personalities everywhere digging this guy's shirt. I love the Run DFS shirt. It comes with baseball cards with all the different shirts on it. Rotoware on Twitter. Check out rotoware.com. Oh my God, is this, is this shirt making love to me right now? Like, what's going on? I love this shirt. Hello and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Fantrax Radio. I'm Pat Donovan. Joined by the man of many minds, Nick Ligatino. <laughs> I am so excited. Starting pitching, baby. Let's go. And along with us is Joe Saunders, a.k.a. the captain, the head of the Elvis Andrus fan club. <laughs> Woohoo, Elvis Andrus. <laughs> All right, guys. As Nick hinted at, we have our starting pitching preview tonight. We're going to run through some news and notes very quick. Obviously, the big news is you, Darvish, but we're going to get to him tonight. Um, so the news from the day, Mike Sosha confirmed what we've all suspected. The Angels will go six-man rotation, and that'll help keep Otani, Richards, and uh, the other uh, back-end pitchers like Heaney, Skaggs, Shoemaker, Fresh. Uh, Bud Black made clear that Ian Desmond will have an everyday role, either in corner outfield position or at first base. So it looks like he's in line for full-time playing time to start the year, and the signing could push Ryan McMahon out of the lineup. And Bud Norris signed with the cards. Uh, I think Gregerson's still the favorite for saves there, but Norris did have a good run with the Angels last year. Guys, do you have anything to add on those? Yeah, only thing I have to say is uh, you're probably just going to want to keep close tabs between Gregerson and Norris, probably play the hot hand. I agree with you. I think Gregerson's a guy, but... Just uh, just keep an eye out. Keep watching. Yeah, and uh, the needle kind of moves for Desmond in the right direction. Not too much, but definitely in the right direction. One of the questions was playing time. Now he's going to get it. So he moves up a little bit in my rankings. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel a little more secure with Desmond now. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into starting pitching. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, Fantrax ADP 7.79. Still number one in the minds of the people. Is he number one on your board at the position? All right, so I'm going to start off by saying that he is, without a doubt, the best player in baseball. So don't get don't get mad at me, people, for what I'm about to say. But no, he's not the number one fantasy pitcher in baseball, in my opinion. Two herniated discs. I'm going to repeat that. Two herniated discs. They don't go away. And you go back to December 2016. Um, he came out, uh, Kershaw, that is, 
and was extremely adamant about how his off-season workouts cured his back problem from the year before. But come mid-2017, out of nowhere, boom, back on the DL, back spasms, back problems, herniated discs. They don't go away. There's nothing you can really do except inject, fuse, etc., work out, do yoga, build the muscle, but it never goes away. And he's on a really good team who could afford to sit him for extended period of time if he needs it. And they will not rush to do that, as we've seen in the past. His his DL stints have not been short. They've been lengthy. So one little spasm, one little thing, and a team with a winning record is going to rest him for extended time. I'm taking Scherzer over him. He is not number one in fantasy, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually echo your sentiments. I have Scherzer over Clayton Kershaw. Wow. Okay. I do not. I have Kershaw number one. I still think he's a very clear number one, but let's move to Scherzer since we're going to, since, since you guys like him so much, let's talk about Scherzer 12.26 fan tracks, ADP Kluber 14.44 ADP Chris sale, 15.38. Those guys are obviously a group together among the public um, with all of them within four picks of each other. Let's establish what we think of them. Who has the highest ceiling? Sale. Uh, I think it's still Scherzer. I think Max is the guy with the highest ceiling. He's got the NL advantage. The division isn't intimidating. Ballpark is neutral. And he's got the best track record of swing and miss stuff among the three of them. Who has the lowest floor? Kluber. Kluber, without a doubt. See, I think it's Sale. But very, very close. Uh, I give it to Sale because that division is always very tough. There's a lot of... um, Bad ballparks in that division, good lineups. Kluber, I know he's got the bad fastball, but I just look at that division and I'm looking at Detroit and Kansas City and the White Sox, and I just don't think that there's really a lineup in that division that scares me at all. So I think Kluber, just based on where he is, in terms of his division is going to be awesome this year. And I have got a little bit more concern about sale there. Yeah. What the, do you guys the, think about Go ahead. The, the one, the one beef I have with that, I think is the reason I have Kluber the lowest is because I think we've seen him at the lowest before he's had some real large stints where yeah, he hasn't exactly. pitched well. Yep. Yeah. That's, no, absolutely. You're absolutely and right. And that, and that's exactly why I have him low. We, we don't see those prolonged slumps from like any of these other guys. Yep, I agree. Okay, but we can all agree that all three of these guys are awesome, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I and, wouldn't mind owning any of the four of these guys. And also, I feel like people are going to go crazy that they heard that me and Joey said that, you know, we take Scherzer over Kershaw. But, Joe, you, uh, Kershaw is the best pitcher in baseball, correct? We're yeah, and, and if someone, for whatever reason, took Scherzer over Kershaw and I was left with taking Kershaw, Oh no! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel the same way. If you have him for the fantasy playoffs, you're going to be mint. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move to the fifth guy, Madison Bumgarner, ADP twenty five point nine one, coming off injury, albeit fluky. Do you still believe that Bumgarner is a high end, top five type SP, or do you think the market is living in the past? All right. So I'm a Bumgarner guy. I always have been, but there is an issue here, and I, I don't want to downplay this injury so he's been healthy his entire career okay 
Um, and you could go and say, oh, it's it was one thing. It was fluky, whatever. But, okay, yeah, it was a fluky injury. But the injury was serious. This is a grade two shoulder t- uh, sprain. That means he tore ligaments in his throwing sh- shoulder. That is not good. And there are other little red flags that pop up at the end of the season last year, which may have been underplayed by the Giants, like this. The final end of the season, he posted a 4.91 ERA. Okay, that's whatever. Maybe he had one blow-up month. He was also scratched from his final start. And to me, you look at Bumgarner and his competitive nature, and I don't know, even though it was a meaningless game, if he'd be okay with that. Unless there was something, an underlying issue. Um, another red flag, there have been no contract extensions with Bob Garner at all. He's going to be a free agent next year. I don't know if San Fran is really worried about this injury or not, but there are some red flags concerning the injury itself. And I am concerned. I have him lower than his ADP, and I'm probably staying away. Although I don't hate the pick. <laughs> Classic Nick, both Classic. sides of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, I've heard the trepidation in the market. Nick just echoed it. So I'm, I'm actually glad you did because it, it gives a different take than I'm going to give. Um, you know, the concern has primarily been around Bumgarner's velocity, which never came back uh, all the way post DL. I'm not as concerned as some because the velocity was ticking up at the end of the year. His last few starts, I believe he almost gained uh, two and a half to three miles per hour. Um, Bumgarner has never needed that much velocity anyway. So, I mean, even if he loses half a tick because of this um, in the long term, it's not going to hurt him that bad because he's never been a guy that's needed overwhelming velocity. And three, he's coming off the smallest workload of his career in some time. So I think he's going to be fresh. Um, Put all that together with the sort of intangibles that Bumgarner has He's going to be out for blood this year, especially with the team that's been aggressive, uh, trying to add talent. I think he's going to be fired up. I, I know that that's intangible, but it, it's part of this guy's makeup. I, I admit that that's not the most scientific take, but I think it's necessary to say because he is such a gamer. I, I, I expect him to be motivated, especially because the injury was really his own fault. Um so I'm with the market here as far as him being fifth, and I have absolutely no problem taking him there. Nick, since you've got some reservations, where do you have him among starting pitchers? I have him after Syndergaard and extremely, extremely close to – I'm sorry, after Syndergaard and Carrasco, extremely sim- uh, close to Severino. Numbers-wise. Uh, what is that? Six, seventh over pitch. Oh, seventh, six or seventh overall pitcher. I think it is. Okay. Yeah. It would be about seven. Yeah. And Nick, just so you know, he's not a free agent next year. He's a free agent. 2019. No, he's got one more year. He's, he's, he's under contract in 2019. Okay. Okay. Uh, Steven Strasburg, number six, 28.4 ADP. While most of the league got worse, Strasburg managed to improve what was the reason behind it, and is it sustainable? Yes, yeah, so um, I saw a change in Strasburg that I saw a change in a lot of these guys up top, unsurprisingly, and that was uh, a decreased use of their most straight pitch, and in Strasburg's case, that's his fastball. Um, he used his changeup more, which 
throughout his career has generated the most whiffs of any of his pitches. Um, so to see that, to see that actual, oh, we got doggies in the house. Yep. <laughs> so to see that actual change um, in his change, no, but to see that actual change, I think it is sustainable. And I think, again, a lot of these guys up top made this sort of change to, to use their fastball less in an, in an era where guys are crushing fastballs out of the yard. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely a sustainable change. Okay. Uh, to me, there are two parts to Strasburg's success. The first is the innings. Uh, I mean, for the first time in three years, Strasburg broke 175 innings and was able to survive the year without any significant missed time. Um, who knows if that's going to repeat itself? Chances are it will not, given his track record. Um, the other part was the suppression of homers. He only allowed 0.67 homers per nine, which is the lowest mark of his career. Um, part of the reason was he increased his ground balls. Um, as Joe said, that was primarily due to his pitch mix change. Um, he's embraced throwing the fastball last and focused on using his off-speed and breaking stuff more. Uh, he's also de-emphasized his slider after making it his primary secondary pitch in 2016. I think the skill gains are for real. I, I just don't know that he's going to stay healthy. But I'm okay with him in this range. I'm not avoiding him. Yeah, I'm actually okay with that analysis too. I don't have him for 200 innings, but I think he's a good for a good 170. I'm, yes. I'm avoiding him, of course. Yeah, well, you always avoid him. You're, yeah. You've never been a Strasbourg guy. Well, no, he's never pitched. He hasn't pitched over 200 innings since 2014. Why would I make an investment in him when you could take Carrasco or Severino next? Segway. <laughs> well, not quite, because we're talking You're about Syndergaard someone. first. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. okay. So Syndergaard, 38. Uh, excuse me, 33.58 ADP on fan tracks. Is this enough of a discount on a pitcher who threw 30 innings last year? And where does Syndergaard fall on your board at starting pitcher? Yeah, so like I said before, I have him uh, over Mad Bum. Um, I am, and definitely over Strasburg, and it's not even close. So, and really, it's just all about upside with Syndergaard. Uh, when you, as far as upside goes, he's up there with, I think, Sale, Scherzer, and Kluber. Uh, if he throws close to 200 innings, he's going to be one of those guys. Last year, I know it was extremely, um, it was a extremely small workload, but 34 Ks and three walks and 30 innings. It's just the ratio is a beautiful. The stuff is ridiculously off the charts and he's still making a lot of adjustments. I mean, he's still really young. Last year, he threw his sinker more, buried his fastball and his fastball was his least thrown pitch. And if you're a 99 mile per hour, filth, filthy, disgusting fastball is your fourth to fifth pitch. It just tells you how good your stuff is and how deep an arsenal you have. He's just 35 and he's just too sexy not to take early. Yeah. And he's got great hair. Great hair. So for every Brett Gardner moment, Nick, that you and I have, like last week, you guys should listen to the pod last week. It was great. But uh, so for every Brett Gardner moment, I find that every week uh, we find I find that we are agreeing more and more. And I cannot disagree with you here. I have Syndergaard in front of Baumgartner and Strasburg, too, for all the reasons you said. And something I want to mention is, is that he's three years younger than either of them. So um, while they all now bring injury history, histories uh Syndergaard's the youngest and he's got the most upside like you said so I'm totally in on Syndergaard but he's a Met (sighs) yep it's true (sighs) okay all right Carlos Carrasco eighth overall starting pitcher 35.65 and we're going to look at him and Luis Severino together 
who is going at 35.91 on fan tracks. Carrasco and Severino are nearly identical in ADP, as you can tell. Uh, do you want to, the established high-end starter, who is Carrasco, or the hotshot youngster, who is Severino? This is, I think, the closest we're going to get on the night for me as far as choosing between two pitchers. Um, this is tough, especially for me as a Yankee fan. I want to be a fanboy and go with Severino and show some pride, but Carrasco's my guy. I told you guys all off season if he puts in a full full season, he could be the number two number three best pitcher in baseball. His, he, I think he has possibly the best slider change combo, slider change curve combo in all of baseball. Um, and Joby spoke before about how pitchers are uh, throwing less fastballs and that's Carrasco's weakest pitch. So if he makes an adjustment and throws it a lot less, he could be extremely dangerous. I, I absolutely love him. Well, and it's, so can I just jump in there since you mentioned that, right? He, he actually did make that change last year. He threw more secondary stuff. He generated more whiffs and he generated less contact and less home runs. Um, so I don't want to steal your thunder, but I, th- I think it's worth mentioning that he, he did make some of that change and that's why he, he had some gains last year. Yeah. Um, and it, it, and it is extremely close between him and Severino and Severino is going to be awesome. He was so poised last year for a rookie. He did not go through any prolonged slump. He was extremely consistent month to month. I think his worst month, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe his highest area was 3.85 or around that area. Um, which is a great sign for a rookie, uh, because sometimes they're a bit inconsistent or go through a bad month here and there. He was just good all year. I would love to see him add a pitch, but I'm okay with the fastball change slider mix because, they all work. So, you know, maybe throw the – all I can say is throw the change more year because – I was the, about the to say, he doesn't throw the change enough. Yeah, throw it a little That's bit really more. That's really the issue. He's really like a two-and-a-half pitch guy right now. Yeah, but here's the thing. The changeup, I think, is probably his best pitch. I don't know if you've seen it. It is ridiculous. There is it's, no way that pitch is better than his slider. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. It's no, very – like It's zero percent chance. Yeah, yeah no way. <laughs> I'm going to say this. It's Jarrell Cotton-esque changeup. Wow. It's insane. I, I can't believe that that's true. Yeah. I haven't I looked at the, I I looked at the, um, the measurables, it's but ridiculous. I doubt it. All right. Listen, I'm, I'm going to take Carrasco. He's got the better ballpark, better division, longer track record, and he's got the four pitches. Uh, yeah, the fastball is not great, but I, I, I just don't trust Severino to the extent I trust Carrasco. Severino's worst ballpark. Doesn't have the track record, and he's got, like I said, he's got two and a half pitches. Um, so I, I have to give the edge to Carrasco. It's not a slight against Severino. I do have him uh, right. I, I think I've got him at ten overall among starting pitchers. So I mean, it's not like I've got him down my board. It's just I, I'll take the established track record here. Yeah, just to chime in, I I got Carrasco too over Severino. Okay. All right, uh, 10th, Jacob DeGrom, 38.32. DeGrom didn't have the results to match the others in the top 10. Do you think he warrants this sort of investment? All right, so as much as I like DeGrom as a safe floor, kind of underrated pitcher in fantasy, I don't know anymore, he used to kind of be. I think it's a drop-off here as far as stuff goes. I think Carrasco, Severino, and then there's a line, and then it's the rest of these guys. Uh, I know. I think Pat's probably going to disagree with me because he loves Degrom. But here's what I will say about him: the I positive. Do, but... And, but I'm going to say this: I do not dislike Degrom. He's going to get the job done. He's going to get the job done. I'm sorry, with good ratios and good stats across the board, and has a, an extremely uh, safe floor. 
but he's a bit more hittable and doesn't have the elite breaking stuff. And Velo is the guys we just spoke about. So I think I, I'm, I'm taking Verlander and Ray o- over him, who we're going to get to in a second. But it's not by much. I just he's a little bit lower for me ADP wise. I mean, he's he's a guy that throws 94, 95. I mean, the velo is not an issue. Um, and last year was probably what would be his floor. Um, you know, and, and he actually improved from a skills perspective. He struck more guys out. Um, you know, he he's he's a guy that had some homer issues last year, like a bunch of other guys around the league. Um, but it was uncharacteristic of what he's done in the past. Um, the career high K per nine was backed by a career high swing and strike percentage. He did a good job generating soft contact, 20, 21.3%. It's a career high. The fastball velocity, as I mentioned, leapt back over 95. He was down the year before. He had the ulnar nerve surgery, came back. Velocity came right back up, which, by the way, is probably good news for Steven Matz. Um, the culprits here were his career high homer to fly ball rate which was 16.1%, and that's 5% higher than any other year. So I think you can bet on that coming back down. And a slightly above average Babbitt, um, which might go down as well with the full year of Ahmed Rosario and the addition of Todd Frazier in the infield. Um, so, I mean, I think DeGrom is going to end up being a guy that's going to have an ERA somewhere between 3 and 3.25 with 10K per 9 and solid K-to-walk ratios. He's going to be a very, very good pitcher. I, I agree. He doesn't have like a top five ceiling, but I think he's a pretty good bet to land um, inside the top 20 and, and, you know, maybe scratch seventh in terms of starting pitcher. So yeah, maybe, maybe I don't disagree with you that much, Nick. Maybe he's a guy that's got a really safe floor and the ceiling isn't that much higher than this. Is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah. You're completely echoing my sentiment. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I do have him, I believe 11th at starting pitcher. So I'm a little bit below the ADP. Just a slot, but, you know, I, I do think he's very solid. Okay, Justin Verlander, uh, 40.87, the 11th overall SP. Slow start, traded, and then amazing down the stretch. What do you make of Verlander in his first full year in Houston? So I'm a Verlander guy, but I'm going to hand this off to Joey since he's a Astro guy. Yeah, so, uh, Nick, we were both on Verlander for the bounce back last year. Yep. Big time. And we both believed he'd finish in the top 10. I don't think he did, but I do, but I do (laughs) want to say in spirit, we were right, Pat, you're wrong. Oh, okay. I was right, but I'm wrong. In in spirit, we're right. So yeah, we know, we know what happened. You are becoming way too much like Nick. This is really scary. Hey, I I take offense (laughs) to that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we know what happened with Verlander, right? The increased usage of the slider. Um, ultimately, I don't think we'll see the same level of success in the run suppression as we did during this round. I mean, he was bananas. bananas. But I do think he keeps the Ks up, right? Um, the increased usage of that slider, and I again, right, I'm going to hark back to DeGrom. I, I didn't get to chime in there, but um, DeGrom did the same thing. He used the fastball less, the slider more. All these guys did the same thing, right? Everyone's trying to hit home runs, strike out, or walk. If you're missing bats, you're going to be good. Verlander did it. DeGrom's done it. Carrasco's done it. Severino's done it to an extent. Right, All these top guys are doing it. So I think Verlander keeps the strikeout gains. I'm not so sure about the the homer suppression, especially in Houston. Um, but I think he'll be like a mid-3s ERA. Good, good K per nine. I still like him. 
um, yeah, I'm, I'm completely on board with this as well. Uh, one thing you didn't mention is that the velo went up on the fastball. Um, and his ratios, oh my God, dude, 121 strikeouts to 21 walks in the second half. I mean, yeah, that had a 34. Can we really count on the velo staying up? No, I'm just, it's just, listen, he's 35 years old. So it's a good point to mention that at 35, his velo went up. So any signs, any worry about I'm 32, my velo's going down. <laughs> any worry about him breaking down could kind of be put at rest a little bit by that's, that's a good sign in the right direction. Um, so yeah, I'm completely on board. Joe, your analysis was spot on, and I, I think the ADP is right. I, but except I, I'm taking him over Degrom. Okay, let's move it to Zach Greinke, 12th overall starting pitcher, 46.26 ADP. We've seen the good Greinke and the bad Greinke since he moved to Arizona. Did he find himself in the desert, or are you pushing him down your board? And if you're pushing him down, why? Okay, so Eno uh, wrote up a great article. Before he left Fangraphs, about Granky, yeah, you know Sars, and and about Granky and his increased usage against righties. Um, so it, that's his slider is his bread and butter weapon against righties, and so with his increase came all sorts of goodness, right? Now, with that said, I think Granky has a really low ceiling relative to a lot of the guys around here. So if you go real high on pitching, right, like if you get one of the top guys and pair him with a true ace. It's not a bad get, but just realize at 12, you're limiting your strikeout potential and very well may be drafting someone with less than 200 Ks. So for Granky to anchor your team, I mean, I would not feel good about it. Yeah, I don't think you can feel good about it. He's lower on my board. The results were great, and the skills were night and day compared to 2016. Caper 9 way up, substantial gains in swinging strike percentage. The velocity was roughly the same year over year, which means he was probably down in terms of his overall velocity because they um, changed the way the radar guns measure velocity. Um, so year over year, it was probably about down a tick. Not a huge deal, though, because Greinke's never been a guy that's relied on overwhelming velo. Um, but he's getting close to that danger zone where if he loses another tick or two, it could get really ugly really fast. Um, Greinke undoubtedly is aware of this. Uh, he shrunk his fastball usage, as Joe pointed out. He was under, he's been under 50% the last two years. Um, the reason why I'm down on Greinke, though, is I, I think after last year's first half surge, the league caught up with him to an extent in the second half and brought him to where I expect him to be. He had a caper nine of 8.7, a swing strike percentage down to 11%, which was down 2.5% two, two from the first half, and an ERA of 3.66. Uh, he wasn't catching hitters off guard like he was in the first half. The soft contact percentage was down 8%. I just see Granke as much more of a 3.5 to 3.75 ERA guy than a 3.25 ERA guy at this point. And at that mark with the reduced case, I don't think he's worth this pick. Okay, let's move it to his teammate, Robbie Ray, 13th overall starting pitcher, 49.13 ADP on fan tracks. You can't get much more variance between the two seasons that Robbie Ray just put together. Um, so which is more real, 2016 or 2017? Uh, I think it's 2017 and beyond. I think he still has a ceiling that we haven't seen yet. Uh, you guys know I am the Robbie Ray guy. I've had him for years Factually now. correct. Factually correct. Um, I had him before the analyst and everybody else. I, yeah, was I don't, I don't like to give you credit on anything, but yeah. Yeah, yeah um, this is early. 
Yeah, and I've been on him just purely because of his stuff. It's absolutely ridiculous. His slider, curveball are completely off the charts and unhittable when he's in the zone. Uh, he just loses the zone sometimes and uh, completely gets has these blow-up starts where he walks a ton of guys and yada, yada, yada. I think we know the deal by now with, with Robbie Ray. Um, here's the thing. So if his base on balls per nine come down to like just bring it to like low threes, 3.25, let's just say. This is a guy who could be a top five pitcher in all of baseball. I think he has it in him, honestly. He's the only guy on this chart. If you go to his um, uh, his pitch splits, his top three pitches, his four seam, his curveball, and his slider, which he throws the three most, the league is batting under 200 on all three pitches. That's bananas. Well, that was last year, right? Yeah, it was last year. Okay. Um, that, that was like the year before now, they were batting like 400. That's not true. Pitch. That's not true. <laughs> that's not even a little true, actually. They, the, uh, the, uh, the only pitch that was really hittable in 2016 was his sinker. The four seamer was good. The slider was good. But uh, last year, he put it all together. He messed with his pitch mix, mix a little bit, and it worked. Uh, the problem with him is obviously losing the zone. He, he does it start to start. Sometimes he's really, really good, and he walks one or two guys. Sometimes he has games where he walks seven guys, and it absolutely kills his ratio. So if you could somehow find a way to just find better command control, I mean, sky is the limit for this kid. Sky is the absolute limit. He's still young, and I have him uh, above his ADP, and I always will. I love Robbie Ray. All right. Well, I lean a little closer to last year, and that tells you where I am on Ray. It's not – I think 2017 is going to be the new norm. I, I think he's going to end up being s- somewhere between a 3.75 um, and 3.5 ERA type of pitcher, uh, hmm. which places him squarely between the last two years. I mean, the the, the results were insanely different, but I, I don't think the skills were all that different. The primary drivers of his performance were uh, a reduction in BABIP from – 352 to 267 and a left on base percentage that shrunk from uh, that, that increased to, excuse me, 84.5% from 68.7% in 2016. Year over year, the batted ball profile wasn't that different. In fact, last year may have been worse because he gave up more hard contact. Um, Now the Arizona defense was abysmal in 2016. So that certainly played a role, but the shift, doesn't add up to nearly 100 points in Babbitt, uh, especially with a batted ball profile that was exactly the same. So I'm with Nick that the control is part of the issue with Ray, but he mentioned that right at the end, the command. And with Ray, I think he's got I, – I don't know that he's got great command because I think when he's in the zone, he tends to be a little too hittable, and that's why guys are able to square him up like they do. But listen, this guy is a extreme K guy. So even with a inflated ERA, even with an ERA that's around 3.7, he's going to strike out a ton of guys. So I'm okay with sacrificing the ERA a little bit for the Ks. And he's on a good team. He should get some wins. I don't like to chase wins, but you have to consider it. And then there's always the possibility that they install this humidor, which everybody's talking about for the last, I don't know, it's almost been a year that they've been talking about the Arizona humidor. If they install that, the offense is going to get is going to go down quite a bit in Arizona. 
Um, and then that could help Ray because he's a guy that is going to have to do okay on Babbitt um, to really excel. At this price, I'm not quite in. I have Ray closer to like 16, 17 overall. But I, I don't fault you for taking him here because, as Nick said, this is tremendous upside. This is a guy that's a couple of tweaks away because he's got the swing and miss stuff already um, where he could take a giant leap. I just don't think he's going to get there. <clears throat> okay, that moves us to Carlos Martinez, 52.66, the 14th overall starting pitcher. Martinez has been in the same class of pitchers for the last three years, which is a high-end number two in 12-team mixers. Having just turned 26, do you have reason to believe that there is another level to his game? Joe, you can show this off. Sure. So uh, the, the the real brief thing I have to say is that I think there is potential. I'm just not sure if he's, he can get there. And I think the potential is if he gets a better feel and command of the curveball, right? If he can really uh, introduce the curveball as a, as a significant pitch into his arsenal, I think we can see some more upside. With that said, right now, if he doesn't, you know, get a feel for that pitch a little bit more, I think what we saw last year in terms of his K, K potential is probably maxed out. Um, we've seen before that he's he's been just about a three ERA guy, so I think he can climb back down. I mean, he got bit by the home runs last year, like everyone else did. Um, so yeah, so I think I think if we can introduce that that curveball in a in a positive way, there's some upside. But I'm not paying for it right now, and I think where he's going is a pretty good spot. Yeah, I'm I'm not with this ADP. Um, and I was uh, there's another guy I was on years ago. I, I really liked the potential coming up, and I thought that he would excel year after year. But we've kind of seen him kind of stay the same. Um, you, I don't know why he's not throwing the change up more. It's a great pitch. It's kind of like his last pitch, uh, last year. He only threw it 504 times compared to the four seamer and the sinker and the slider, which he threw a ton. Um, I'd like to see that incorporated more. I'm just, I, I, as far as head to head goes, it's a little difficult to own Carlos Martinez because he could definitely lose you a week. He has blow up starts and he goes through some slumps and he loses the zone, but then he'll be absolutely ridiculous for like two months straight. Um, he's a weird yeah, player. Yeah. He's a game a, where he walked like what, like eight guys or something like that. Yeah. He's a weird player. He has a really yeah. bad um, mound demeanor too. He just sometimes just looks, looks completely rattled on, on the mound. Um, but listen, but I really do like the stuff. The player just worries me. Um, and I don't know that he has the ceiling even close to any of the guys we spoke about, especially Robbie Ray and especially the guys we're about to get to after. So I have him way, way, way lower than his ADP. This is one guy that drops far down and I immediately look at Jose Quintana and it's just the guy I go to when I look at Carlos Martinez, because I just think Quintana is better all around at every single thing. And he's like a bunch of picks later. So so Pat. I I actually I'm sorry before Pat go you go I, I I actually do have Carlos Martinez at 16, um, but I'm not sure if I agree with having Quintana in front of him because I think if he does decide to learn how to really use this curveball that he, I mean he's he threw it like less than one well, percent of the time right yeah. but I think if, he, if if for whatever reason St Louis decides that they want to get it in more or he wants to get it in more then I think there's like another level whereas Quintana is. 
it's pretty much maxed out. See, I disagree. I, I, I think Quintana showed us his next level last year. I mean, he rose to K per nine all the way up to 9.87. We don't, I don't want to dive into Quintana. We're going to get to him in a second. But I'm just saying, like, I just think that there's another ceiling to Quintana's game. And the, the whole point with, with Mar- Carlos Martinez was the ceiling. And I think that it kind of is what it is now. I think his ceiling is basically right around what he did last year. I don't see much more upside with him. I just want to add that I think that Carlos Martinez has a ceiling that's comparable to what DeGrom or Carrasco is right now, I think. Oh, God, you're crazy. Comparing him to Carrasco? Well, DeGrom, fine. You can't compare him to Carrasco. It's well, like, I can because Carrasco is like the, what, the seventh or eighth pitcher off the board right now? Yeah, but Carrasco has like three really good breaking pitches that all work consistently, whereas Martinez has like two and they're extremely inconsistent. I know, but, but Martinez has the fastball. That's fine, but oh, that's, but we just talked important. about we just talked about how important that's it is to throw the most. Yeah, but we just <laughs> said to, that we like that we like that the guys are making changes to throw it less. Yeah, because because those guys their fastballs aren't good. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. That's but, not true. But, but I think I I again right. I think the reason that there's some like un- unlocked potential is because he's thrown this pitch, so he he knows how to throw it. It's just. Can he get it? Can he get a good, a real good handle of it? Right, Quintana. I mean, listen, we love Quintana, and okay, can, can we can we just yes. stop talking about Quintana? We're gonna all get there. Right, all right, all right. <laughs> I know right. we love him, but all right. So listen, so Joe, where are you on his ceiling? Nick has expressed that I didn't have the right guys. What do you think about Martinez's ceiling? So, okay, right. Until I see something, I think last year is close to it, right? Like a nine and a half K per nine and like a three ERA, right? But I, I don't think that's bad. And no, I think he's got not. room for more potentially, potentially. I just haven't seen it yet. So I'm not confident in projecting it. Okay. Fair. All right. We're going to look at the 15th and 16th overall pitchers together. You uh, Darvish who signed in Chicago, 56.16 and Chris Archer, 57.65. Within two picks of each other on the big board, who do you like better, Archer or Darvish? And does well, the move to the Cubs change your opinion on Darvish? So I I definitely like Darvish more, um, and it's it, it's not that uh, close. Joe? Uh, it's close, um, but the move to the Cubs has definitely pushed Darvish in front of Archer for me. Pat. I had Darvish in front of the Cubs. I had Darvish in front of uh, Archer. Prior to the move, I think if you look at if you look at what he did last year when he went to the Dodgers, um, it's a pretty good indicator of what you can expect this year. Uh, he was a three point four four ERA guy, caper nine over eleven. Uh, he kept the walks down to a pretty good level. I believe he was close to two and a half per nine. The Cubs have a amazing defense. The Dodgers also are a good defensive team. Last year in the first half when he was with the Rangers, he struggled. Part of that was because the Rangers are a bad defensive team. And the other thing that I think people are missing is is that um, Darvish came back halfway through the 2016 season from Tom and John. And so, like, the one full year in terms of innings, Mark, was about halfway through this year. Um, So I'm not surprised that he struggled to start the year and then found it 
um, in the second half. I think he's getting discounted because he was bad in the playoffs. I think that's foolish. Um, there have been reports that he was tipping his pitches. Uh, if he's not tipping his pitches, he's probably much less hittable. Um, I, I like him a lot. I, and I think that, you know, again, I don't want to emphasize wins too much, but he's on the Cubs. So, you know, he's got a much better shot to win 16, 17, 18 games <clears throat> as opposed to Archer, who might max out at around 12 or 13 unless something fluky happens. Yeah, and uh, uh, my my point here with Archer, I mean, sorry, with, with choosing Darvish over Archer is that you're getting a potential ace at this point. Um, if he turns it in, uh, if he turns in a full season, something close to 200 innings, uh, I think you're going to see a sub three four ERA with an, a, a right around an 11K per nine and a, and a nice um, low walk rate. So, and, and with Archer, this is this is not taking any shots at Archer. I think we're all kind of Archer guys. I think we all have owned Archer in our home league. Yeah, we have. Um, he's improved year after year. And and last year he only walked, He it, it dropped from the year before at 2.69 per nine. Uh, and the K rate went up to 11.15 as compared to 10.42 the year before. So he's striking out more guys, walking less. But similar to Carlos Martinez, he, Chris Archer, is really tough to own if you watch him because he loses oh his composure. Oh, God. He's so frustrating. Not, yeah, it's like Dylan, almost Dylan Patances is not quite as bad where he just looks rattled, can't throw a strike. Um, so, but having said that, he's still 29 years old um, and uh, he's making improvements year after year. So there's this is not taking any shots at Archer. I like both guys a lot. But Darvish is a potential ace. Yeah. See, I, I th- the one thing I think I I, I want to add to that is I think there's like this is totally subjective, right? But I think there's gonna be a year, and it's got to be really soon, or it's not gonna happen. That Archer just puts it all together. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and then he's he like the third pitch, though. I, I know, I know, and that's never that's not gonna happen. Not at 29. I mean, like he's if he puts the ERAs he had like in 2014, 2013, where they were like sub three, four together with this walking key rate. Yeah. He's, he's a top, he's a top pitcher. Yeah. Okay. Listen, let me, let me, let me ask this question. Cause I, I think this is an interesting point. Do you, if Archer is traded to an L team or Minnesota in the AL central, does he surge past Darvish? No, Minnesota does nothing at all for me. Um, but really, and, because now he doesn't have to face the Yankees and yeah, as much, but and he's facing at, Kansas city and the white Sox and Detroit. When it, when it comes to like, uh, when it, when a pitcher gets traded, I immediately look at, uh, the coaching staff and how they, and the track record with pitching in the past. And Minnesota doesn't really have much of a track record there, but an NL team, That's like true. let's just say the giants or the Cardinals or somebody who could work their voodoo magic, the Cubs, maybe even, um, then I could definitely be on board. Yeah, well, but none tar- of those teams target is probably Milwaukee, right? Yeah, I was thinking Milwaukee when I and, said and, that. and Milwaukee's one of those teams as well. Look what they've done with their pitching over the okay, last. Okay, so uh, a move to Milwaukee would make the it. Problem with Milwaukee is, is the ballpark. That's yeah, true. That's but yeah, but that's true. But I think the move a move to Milwaukee would make this very very close. Um, I think I'd still rather have Darvish because of the ballpark, but it's. Very close. It's like a you can flip a coin. See, I I might be on an island here, but I would actually prefer Minnesota to Milwaukee. 
Nah, I don't think yeah, so. I'd rather I'd rather face I'd rather get the free out. Fair. But Kansas City is gonna have a lot of free outs. <laughs> Fair. So is the White Sox. <laughs> so is the Tigers. They're all gonna be free outs. Except for Mikey Mitchuk. Okay. Dallas Keuchel, 17th starting pitcher, 63.89 ADP. When healthy, Keuchel is a pitch-to-contact maven. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being completely panicked, how nervous are you about his injury? And if healthy, come spring training, you know, he's we're mid-March, can he move up for you? Uh, I'm worried. I'm worried about the injury, but oh, not just the injuries. One to I, ten, Joe. One yeah, to ten. So, so, uh, nine. Oh wow! So, uh, wow, that's that's uh, very high. Yeah, I have him way down, like wow. way past seventeen. All right. Well, he's a, he's the Astros fan, so Joe's take it away. Joe's hair is turning gray <laughs> on the <laughs> nah, podcast. Nah, we got Garrett, baby. But uh, <laughs> they have like ten other good pitchers. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. So the ERA estimators aren't nice to Keiko, right? As he gave up home runs at a crazy rate. But but uh, he doesn't hit. He doesn't allow balls in the air that often. Um, I'm I'm grounders skept- grounders. Yeah. I. But with that said, I was skeptical going into 17, and I'm skeptical going into 18. Um, when a guy's saving grace, fantasy grace, is his ERA, and I'm not 100% sure that that ERA is going to be replicated again, especially if he's hurt or if he's banged up. I just don't feel good about taking Keiko at yeah. 17. Like, I just, it's like, it's sort of like Granky, right? Like, you take one either of these guys, and you're like, uh, you know, yeah. you just don't feel good. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm very worried. I'm worried. I, I am completely on board with you. Uh, I'm 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 gonna put aside the foot issue though for a second. Although it is a bit worrisome, I'm more like a six. I'm not as worried as you. Um, I just don't like the upside, and it, I need I listen. This is the first. Uh, what's the ADP on him again? Overall to sixty three. All right. So yeah. if you're within the first seven or eight rounds, I just don't think you could take a guy with a canine that has potential to be around like 7.5. It's just too low. And although the walk ratio is decent, um, I'm just not buying in. I, 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 ERA and whip to me are secondary categories with pitching. I look at ratios first, K per nine, walks, all that good stuff. And, and Keiko has good stuff. And it's, I just, I, I I hate this pick. I have him so far down the line. I'm taking Otani over him, Quintana, Paxton, Jake Arrieta, Garrett Cole, Masahiro Tanaka. It, the list goes okay, on. Wait, I have him far, wait. far, far. I far am far. I am actually taking a very comparable player to him in front of Keiko, and that's Marcus Stroman. Because Stroman, oh, no, no, I, I'm taking him over. Stroman. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because Stroman, I feel really good that he's going to get to 200 innings. Okay. All right, let's move to Aaron Nola, 18th, 66.91. The market is all in on Nola. Should it be? Yes. Can he return value at this steep cost? Yes. All right, all right, all right. Joe, <laughs> go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, 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 Nick. It's no, yours. Go, it's yours. Go, go. No, I, I, no, go you go. No, no you, I want you to go. Yo, I, it, let's not. Fine, go. forget you guys. Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> you go. <laughs> Hot potato. Listen, when Nola first came up, I was really excited about him. I was excited to draft him last year when his price was not out of hand. 
He's a pitcher's pitcher. He emphasizes command and control instead of overwhelming velocity, although his velocity did tick up last year. Um, one of the big and perhaps underrated reasons for Nola's emergence last year was the development and the trust in his changeup, which now provides him with two fastballs because he throws the four and the two, and a change to go with this fantastic curveball. He's definitely a very good pitcher. But to me, he's in the land of very good. The peripherals think he's a half step better. I'm not so sure. His home park is less than ideal for homers. So I think the homer per nine will be around one to 1.2. And the fastballs aren't great despite the plus command. So he sort of has to Corey Kluber's way to the top. And not everyone can do that. Most can't. Um, I think his draft slot has a lot to do with the state of starting pitching. He is sort of the start of the take who you like range. And I do like Nola. I just don't know that there's a lot of profit in him and that he's that much better than the five to 10 guys um, that come after him or, or five to 10 guys that I, that are still on the board that I have coming after him. I'd rather wait, let the market pick who they like and then, take who I like that's left. All right. So wait, do, do you like the ADP of 66? Well, no, I, like I just said, I'm going to, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I'm not going to buy him at that price because I'm not going to buy any pitcher at that price. I'm going to wait and take whoever is left in, you know, two rounds. All right. So I'm a kind of, eh, on Nola. Um, I think he's like the hot name this year. Uh, he's being written about all over the place. I kind of see his name thrown all over Twitter and people are kind of getting crazy about him. Um, I'm just kind of lukewarm. And you know what? The curveball is great. That's his bread and butter, better uh, bread and butter pitch. But the secondary stuff is kind of just okay. I like the ratios, but like I have him projected for like a nine point, uh, right around where he was last year with Cape and I, but a little bit lower, like 9.5-ish area. And the ratio of walks is going to be good at like 2.75. But the ERA is kind of like up in the air. If he has those ratios with like a 3.65 ERA, I don't know if he's returning that much value. And I don't see that much of a ceiling now. Uh, he could show us something. He could excel this year and take that next step, but I haven't seen it yet. Like this year was very, very comparable to 2016. All the numbers were extremely similar, except for the ERA, obviously. But um, I just didn't see that big step that I wanted to see. So I'm not buying in yet. He could be really, really sick one day. Like you said, he's got that Corey, Corey Kluber-esque potential. I just don't think he gets there this year or within the next couple of years. Yeah, so just to chime in, right, I, I think there is actually upside if he Lance McCullers his way to pitching and just throws curveballs all the time. And just and gets hurt, get hurt. Yeah, gets hurt and misses <laughs> yeah. that season. Yeah, I mean, th that's right. That's like the knock on Nola right now, right? Like he got hurt last year, which cut that innings total. But, I mean, if he had yeah, gotten – he's not even penalized for that. I mean, like well, they're yeah, looking at him and saying he got close to 180. So, I mean, he's better than everybody else. But it's true. He he did. And there's not many guys through 180 innings. Well, and the other thing too, right, is that I don't know if there's that many guys left that – I mean, there are a few that have like true 9.9K per 9 potential, but there aren't that many left. So, I I don't really have that much beef with this, as not as much as you two. It's just – 
his his fastball sinker and changeup, like every other pitch but his curveball, is extremely hittable and has been his entire career in the big so far. Like, what do you see that something's going to change with that? That's that's my point. Yeah, well, like my thing is if he just stops throwing the the other two pitches, well, the other three pitches, and only throws a curveball. Yeah, it's possible. Well, I mean, not only throws a curveball, well, but he can. Rich Hill does. Yeah, Rich, Rich Hill. Hill. Yeah, Andrew. Uh, I don't know. Um, okay, Joe, just, just let me, I just want to clarify where you are. So let's say everybody you've gotten in front of NOLA has gone. Do you like NOLA that much more than everybody else that's on the board that you are taking him? Or are you with me that it's not so bad in terms of ranking? It's just, he's kind of the start of a tier and you're willing to wait. Yes, I agree with that. You're okay. taking you're taking him over Paxton in a vacuum. I, I am actually. Wow. I'm not. Me neither. But okay, we'll get to Paxton. Okay. Okay, Shohei Otani, 19th starting pitcher, 67.8. Oh boy. Give me your middle of the road projection for Otani, and then give me your reasonable upside, good but not case best not best case scenario projection for Otani, and is either worth this pick? So, um, so middle of the road project- projection is two point seven K per walk, one hundred sixty strikeouts, and a three eight five ERA. Um, when you said two point seven, I thought you were saying ERA. I was about to be like, no. Jesus, Joe, you have him higher than I do. No, no, no. And reasonable upside is three K per walk, one hundred seventy eight strikeouts, um, and a three point six eight ERA. So I think he'll do a good job of striking out guys and likely have a sub four ERA. My concern though is if he doesn't have spectacular pinpoint control and walks a few more guys than uh, the estimators are giving him, then that ERA climbs climbs up a bit. Um, and I also think he's going to be uh, limited in innings either by playing in the field and getting tired or um, just adjusting to the MLB. Okay, my 50th percentile projection is a 3.45 ERA, 11 Ks per nine, and 155 innings. My holy smokes! Reasonable upside. My reasonable upside projection is 3.2 ERA, 11.5 K per nine, and that's over 170 innings. Um, both of those projections are worth this pick in my eyes. Um, or at least you would sign up for it pre, pre-draft. Uh, Otani combines a double-plus uh, fastball in terms of velocity, with a splitter that just completely falls off the table and leaves batters swinging at a bouncing ball that bounces some 10 inches in front of the plate. Um, then he's got two good breakers and slider on the curve. The repertoire to me is, is, is great. The issue will be the workload. Um, they've come out. They've said they're going to go six-man which I think is a good thing because it's more likely that Otani will stay healthy and not get skipped or have a phantom DL stint or, 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 you know, suffer some sort of injury. So I think that that's a good thing overall. Yeah. He's not going to get close to 200 innings that way, but I don't think he ever was going to get close to 200 innings. I'm not that worried about a shutdown. The angels are going for it. They are in their window right now. They've been highly aggressive. They got Otani. They signed Upton to a big contract. Um, they've got they're right in the middle of their Mike Trout window. They signed Cozart. They traded for Kinsler. 
the time is now. They're not going to shut this guy down in September. Zero um, percent chance. Um, so daily leagues on sites like Fantrax that utilize uh, Otani as one player. The hitting is just a bonus. He could provide some power, but I don't think the at-bats are going to be much more than 300. Um, he's not worth it as an independent entity. <laughs> could you imagine? What? That would be, like, amazing. I don't think he comes close to that. At-bats, I said, not batting average. That's that's what I'm saying, too. Like, oh, okay. Joe, do you have that number? I'm not even no, close no, to I, We We had talked about this before, and I had him un- under 300. Okay. I have him way. Wait, so Pat, let me let me ask you a question. So, um, and I think this is potentially a very uh, reasonable proposition, right? So Otani, we're talking uh, like late May, right? Third week in May, and Otani's got under a two and a half ERA, and he's dealing, right? Are you looking to trade him or yes? Yes, a hundred percent. Okay. Yes, because one people aren't adjusted. There is going to be. I do think that's the way it is going to go, by the way. I do think he's going to start out very hot, and then I think the league is going to adjust to him, and then I think he will adjust back. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he is among the top 10 pitchers by May 15th, yeah, I'm throwing him on the trade block. Absolutely. Okay. And right. I, I'm going to jump in real quick before before we move on. Neither of you mentioned the UCL. Is that even a blip on the radar, or you just don't care at all about it? I don't care at all because all pitchers have elbow injuries. They're pitchers. Joe, same thing? No, I definitely care. I don't have him at 19, so yeah. <laughs> Joe's got him higher than I do. No, I, have, I definitely have him lower. <laughs> all right, Jose Quintana, 20th. Yeah. Uh, 74.67. Here we go. We can finally get this out of the way. <laughs> we, were the con- we were the Quintana guys before it was cool to be a Quintana guy. With him slated for his first full year across town in Chicago, do you think this is Quintana's ceiling? Or could he eat closer to a top 10 performer? Okay. So first of all, I think this is probably the most beloved guy in the history of our podcast. Would you Absolutely. say that correct? 100%. He's up there. Well, yeah. In terms of communal love? Yeah. 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 The yeah. most loved guy ever is Brad Miller. Oh, my <laughs> oh God. God. Yeah, no, that's, that's not true, everyone. <laughs> Just only Pat. Um, that's what I said. <laughs> so listen, uh, Quintana, uh, probably the safest floor of any guy in this area. He is the man. And I think he's still got a pretty, pretty high ceiling that we have not seen yet. Um, last year he made significant gains in K per nine significant. Um, and you know, the walks kind of stood in the same area, went up a little bit, but I think it's going to come, I think it's going to come back down to the 2.5 area. And I think the K's are going to go up to the 10-ish area, which if he keeps those ratios with a sub-3-5 ERA, which he's pretty much held almost in his entire career, you're looking at a top-10 pitcher, top-15-ish. Uh, I have him way higher than his ADP. I'm taking him over Otani. I'm taking him over Keiko. I am taking him over a lot of guys that we just spoke about. Uh, the, the move to the Cubs is obviously a good one. It's a better ballpark. He's in the NL. Uh, there's there's a lot to love about Quintana, and although some may look at him and say it's Quintana, he's kind of vanilla. He's been the same guy his entire career. I could not disagree with that more. I, I think we're going to get a huge breakout, and it's coming this year. I called last year a breakout, and we kind of got one 
This year is going to be the real breakout where he ties the ratios with the ERA. Puts it all together. Get ready. Pat, what are your thoughts? I don't agree with the analysis that he broke out last year. What do you mean? Um, as far well, as case I mean, per nine? Yes, as far as case said, per nine. But that's not what you said. That's not as far what you as said. Ratio. But fine. Okay. Um, listen, I, I, I do like Quintana a lot. I, I do think that last year, after the trade, he displayed a, a good bit of upside. Um, you know, the case went through the roof. The ERA corrected itself from where he was when he was with the White Sox. He's a very, very good pitcher, and he's about as safe as pitchers come, which, of course, means he's he hasn't gotten hurt yet. I do not agree with Nick. I do not think that there is some kind of other level to Quintana. I think he maxes out right around SP15 in terms of upside. Um, because I just don't think he's got the pitches to take that leap. But I have no issue taking him here, particularly if you're a person that has taken a shot on a guy like Cindergaard um, and you need some safety. Pat, if he if he if he keeps the ratios from last year and turns his ERA into what he's done the last five years, yeah, but he doesn't have the swing strike rate to support. The caper nine. Yeah, but still, it was up. So let's say the okay. So all right. So down. fine. So he did something once. So he's going to do it again. Well, so and let's say let's say the keys per nine come down to what? What do you think is justifiable from last year? Nine point two five. Let's I say, would say let's, I would say he. I would say I would say that I would put him at eight point seven five. And if I wanted to be optimistic, I would put him at about nine point two, which is what you're saying. Okay, so 9.2 and the walk rate comes down to what it's been as well. And you're looking at what? A 3.40 ERA. I mean, that's money. That's Yeah, it's good. It's about the 15th overall starting pitcher. Yeah, so so let me just jump in here real quick, right? Like I I think a lot of those gains were on his changeup, uh which generated a lot more whiffs than they have in the past. The problem is is that in 2016, the changeup got crushed. And so did the curveball. So, I, I, yeah, I'm just with Pat. Like, I don't know how much more upside there is. Okay, let's move to James Paxton, number 21. 78.9 on fan tracks. I think we all agree there are no performance concerns with Paxton. We're just worried about injury. So, I mean, we agree on that, right? This yes. guy is a stud. Of when he's yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, rather than try and wax poetic about James Paxton, Let's talk about pitchers of this profile because there's a lot of them that are going to that that are available now where you're going to see 130 elite to very good innings and how do you compare those 130 elite to very good innings to 180 innings that are simply good Joe you get to start off Okay so I've like done a complete 180 right last year I hated Rich Hill. I was like the anti-Rich Hill what? guy. What? How do yeah. you hate Rich Hill? Yeah, well, because I'm a dummy, I guess. <laughs> I Complete 180, right? So, um, especially in in this in this environment right now, right? I'm right. 180 innings of so-so, 180 innings of so-so pitching is like Dallas Keuchel, right? And I would definitely rather have 130 elite innings like in James Paxton than Dallas Keuchel. Um, 
I will say that I think this is mostly a roster construction thing. If you have one of the top four or so guys, I think Paxton's an awesome pick. Awesome pick. But I think once you go outside of those top four, four guys, top four, five guys, right, or so, you start to get into guys with injury risks already, like Strasburg and Syndergaard and so on, right? So then I think it becomes a little bit more risky, and you have to really, really plan out what you plan to do with pitching. Um, I think in very shallow leagues, who cares? Take Paxton. It doesn't matter. You can pick up a waiver wire guy and still be okay. I think actually in very deep leagues, it also might be worth a guy like Paxton because if he stays healthy, he can win you the league. Right. I think it's actually in the moderate size leagues, like 12 to 14 team leagues is where you really want to stick to a strategy. Pat, you're the, you're the, probably the original Paxton guy. I'll give you that. So well, thank you. Tell us. Um, Listen, I mean, I just recently did a mock where I ended up with Syndergaard, Weaver, and oh my Hill God. as my top three pitchers. Beautiful. So I'm clearly with Joe here. I'm, I'm a guy that wants the elite innings. Um, and there's two reasons why I think that's correct. And Joe kind of hit on one of them, which was there are fewer and fewer starters that can provide that kind of production in this climate. And the other part of it is, um, which is the part that Joe touched upon, was that these guys, there's still a chance that the elite innings guys can provide a full season and, and work their way towards more than 130. Um, so, and there's also that downside where there's guys that don't provide that sort of elite production and you think they're safe for 180 to 200 innings and then they get hurt. So I'd rather bank on the upside I want as many elite innings as I can get. I'll figure out the rest via streaming, free agent pickups, strong bench, whatever. Just give me the give me the elite innings. In a deeper format, 15 teams and deeper, I think it gets a little bit closer um, in terms of, you know, wanting the innings totals versus wanting the elite innings. But I'd still prioritize the lead innings overall. Yeah, and I'm just going to chime in really quick. Uh, I completely agree with both your guys take on Paxton and uh, we're all in love with this guy. There's nothing not to like. He's Bumgarner esque, um, but he just hasn't thrown that full season yet. And when he does, he's going to be possibly, he possibly could be a top five guy. And there's really no one else. I think that we've spoken about recently or going to get to that. We can say that about because the top five is so hard to crack. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think Paxton's got that um, sort of upside where, he can, you know, just win you a league. Oh, I talk about eye test. You ever watch this guy pitch? He's just the best. Yeah, guys just flail. They don't stand a chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, and I'm sorry, one quick question. Pat, who are sure. you taking, him or Carmart? I think Back I have Carmart in front. Um, but it might come down to a team construction type thing like Joe talked about. Joe, Vaxin, If I've got Carmart. Scherzer, I might take pa- I'll probably take Paxton. If I've got Syndergaard, I might lean Carmart. Yep, so, uh, I'm with Pat. Uh, yeah, it's the same sort of thing, right? If I have Scherzer, Kershaw, Sale, or Kluber, I'm totally okay with taking Paxton. Um, otherwise, I'm probably leaning Martinez. Right, I'm taking Pax vacuum regardless of any team comp. Okay. All right, let's talk about Jake Arrieta. 88.21 ADP, 22nd overall. Uh, similar case to Darvish, you can... Can his location change your mind and move him up your list? Do you think the market is being cautious enough? 
So, all right. For me, Arietta is just a little vanilla at this point. He's in between guys with like major upside as far, you know, we're going to get to Cole and Tanaka and some other guys in a minute. And he's behind, as we just said, Paxton and Katana. So it's just hard for me to take a guy who has the potential to put up like a three, four, three, five ERA with good K, good walk. It's like everything's just eh. Um, I'm just not a big fan. The upside's not there for me anymore. He's, you know, 31 years old. I think we've seen his ceiling and we saw his elite at his elite stuff. And I think he's coasting off of that right now. Um, we haven't seen it really since that 2014, 2015 of those two years. And since then his numbers have dropped considerably. The K per nine is down. The walks are way up. The ERA is way up. Um, I'm just not on board board with Jake, I, I have him very, very, very much further down ADP-wise. We know that he's not going to be back in Chicago. I, I don't know that any possibility is as good as that, you know, in the NL with that good of a team, with that good of defense. Um, you also have to be concerned that the Cubs were never really all that interested or motivated to bring him back. Um, makes you wonder if they know something about Arietta's health or performance that goes beyond what the numbers say. And I mean, in the numbers, there's definite red flags. The velocity is down, and that's a fall that has occurred over years. Swing strike percentage has dropped. So did the Ks. He saw his grounders decrease and his fly balls increase, which caused a homer per nine surge. He's up nearly one full homer per nine from his first year in Chicago, which is. Pretty amazing. Um, I do think there's a chance that he becomes a value because there are a lot of people that seem like they're down on him. You know, the t- Nick and I who just spoke. Um, what I'm curious about is where does he become a value for you, Nick? Uh, well, it, like I said, it, just give me a number. It, give me a ballpark. As far as overall pitcher. As far as overall pitcher, yeah. Upside. Uh, where do you think he becomes a value on the board? Um, I would say somewhere around Hendricks and Weaver. Okay, so right around 30? Yeah, I think he becomes a, good, a pretty decent value there. Okay. What about you, Joe? Uh, Close. I think I'm a little bit higher. Probably like 27. Okay. Yeah, I think I would go with Nick. I think I've got him right around 30. Uh, he starts to become very appealing. Okay, Garrett Cole, 23rd, 93.06. Oh, man. There is optimism about Cole's move to Houston, as you can hear. Uh, do you share in that optimism? Joe, yes. Or are, are <laughs> you taking a wait-and-see approach before buying into Cole? Wait, Over. Joe, I've never, I, I've, I've never hear, heard that voice from you. Can you just do that again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, oh, ahead, yeah. Man. Too sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we know how Cole gets to the next level that everyone's waiting for. Um, Houston just has to convince him to throw the slider more. So I did some digging, not just, oh, my God, I love Garrett Cole. So I went back to his 2015 season, uh, the year where he s- sort of put it all together and had uh, the real strong K rates and a sub-3 ERA. So unsurprisingly, it was a year where for three months, he threw his slider 6% more than his career average. Um, the, the argument against uh, him moving to Houston is that the Pirates are a great organization and they've turned, a lot, they've turned a lot of pitchers around. The thing is, is that 
someone like Charlie Morton, who Houston also managed to turn around, was a career pirate. And Justin Verlander also saw a change last year, too. So there's a lot, a lot of hope with Cole. Um, so I'm definitely buying, and I think the upside is just under 9K per 9 with a smidge more if he really, really starts using the slider with an ERA around 3. Yeah, 3. Um, I also don't think you have to really squint that hard to see this as a perfectly okay pick. I'm taking the wait-and-see approach with Cole um, because last year he made the change that a lot of pitchers have made. Um, he de-emphasized his fastball. It was down 6% overall. Um, could he take it further? Yes. But the results weren't there despite the fact that he did de-emphasize the fastball. Um, could going further change that? Yes, but you would have liked to have seen some improvement from him starting to take that step. Uh, we didn't. So he's moving to the AL. It's a worse ballpark. It's a worse situation overall because it's a harder league to pitch in. Um, he's likely to win more games, yes, but... I'm not really into chasing wins. It's more of a tiebreaker. Um, I think he really needs to take a leap to improve. And just for note, his best month last year was July. And he threw his fastball 60% of the time in July. So I'm not sure even changing his approach and going away from the fastball is going to help him. Uh, now, as Joe pointed out, he's correct. Uh, you know, talent is there. The velo, the stuff is good. And the Strohs have a history of figuring stuff out. Um, they figured it out for Charlie Morton, as he pointed out, Verlander. Colin McHugh's another guy they figured it out for. And he doesn't have, you know, half the talent that Cole has. Um, but you're buying a maybe at this point, And there are still pieces on the board that have already put it together. Okay, let's move it to Tanaka, 24th starting pitcher, 93.4 ADP. Coming off a bad year, the market's enthusiasm for Tanaka has not dampened. Did he do enough late last year and in the postseason that your faith has been restored? Forget about late last year and the postseason. He did enough last year as a year on a whole. How is it a bad year? Because of the ERA and whip? Forget that. Look at the K-9. Look at the walks. Look at the ratios. Look at the mix. I mean, the guy is just ridiculous. He was good in April when he had a six six Ks per nine, and three right. walks per nine, and all right. But he's good on the Ray over five. When I when yeah, I see a what, what when I see point one percent whiff rate though, thank you. that's elite. Thank you. And when I and you know what when you when I see on a year a guy with a nine point seven nine K per nine and a two point zero seven base on ball per nine with the potential to bring that two point zero seven down to like one point five five then I see a guy that's just ready to completely break out and absolutely go bananas. Um, Are you talking about Jefferson Marsha? Anyway, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> just, just curious. No, we're talking about Tanaka. And, oh, you're talking about the guy in the worst ballpark, in the worst division, in the worst league? All right, so if, uh, anyone who's been listening to our podcast... This, this is ridiculous! Yeah, this is ridiculous. Pat's obsessed with ballparks. It's just his thing. Listen, the guy's got... He throws like 10 different pitches, okay? And 
If there's yeah, any... his fastball's terrible, and he only throws it 20% all right, so, of the time. All right, you know what, guys? Welcome Who to cares? the He's got a great splitter. the Pat World Order, where Pat just interrupts people while they're talking. And... I told you I was bringing the heat on Tanaka. <laughs> oh, I, I was bring the heat on Because me and Joe are about to bring the heat on you. All right, so listen. He's got six or seven pitches that he could throw. Um, some work, some of some don't work. <laughs> Bottom line is this: you have to take the. If there's anyone to believe in right now, it's the Yankee pitching staff. What we have done with our pitchers over the last two years is absolutely incredible. We've gotten the most out of guys that that should not have done what they have done. We had guys exceed like Luis Severino, CC Sabathia. Yeah, the only thing that exceeded about Tanaka was his ERA. Go to Montgomery. Okay, wait, wait. Can I can I give some legit analysis? All right. I'm gonna go month yeah, by month on your. I'm gonna go month <laughs> by month on your A, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna dig a little bit deeper, right? So March and April, four point two. May, eight point four two, right? Terrible. June, three point nine. July, three point eight. August, two point six. And then September and October, he got beat up a little bit with a five. Okay, right. So most of those were below four, some well below four, right? And then there was May. So. Let's go back to that awful month in May. His fastballs got grooved, crushed, smashed, whatever verb you want to use to describe how badly his fastballs were getting hit. Inserted Crushed. With that said, his horizontal and vertical 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 movement on the pitch, as well as his fastball velo, were all in line with what he's done throughout his career. So the question is, what happened? The thing that stood out to me is that the vertical pitch location on those fastballs were literally dead center. So he lost total control of the fastball. And Pat, you mentioned offline to me that you think he also lost uh, some control of the splitter, which would explain grooving fastballs because it's really not that good of a pitch, right? I can't kill him for one bad month. It was terrible. It was awful. And it, it, it totally makes the whole year look bad. But how can you just... How can you not be confident in the other, the other what five months that he 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 did great? He like Nick said, he increased the strikeout rate. The whiffs went way up. I mean, there's so much to like about Tanaka here. You put you put his previous ERAs along with this year's gains in the K department, and you're looking at an absolute elite off the charts pitcher. Simple as that. So here, what's the rebuttal? Okay, so. Fine. You want to take May out of it. I mean, it's arbitrary. First off, first off, first off, I just want to, I just want to, yeah, exactly. It's arbitrary. You're just, you're just taking away his worst month. Fine. Um, you know, it still happened. So it there's did. always a chance that he loses the pitches again Absolutely. and completely blows up and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But fine. Let's just take May out of it. Do you know what his ERA was for the rest of the year? Over 147 innings? Three, eight, five. 3.97. Ooh, that's close. That's not great. So, I mean, even taking away it's the month that you want to take away. Yes, it is. It is. But is it top 25? Is it worth a top 25 pick? If you're in a Kata Walk League, he gets definitely gets a big Okay, and there's like ball. three people that play in a Kata Walk League, and they're all on this podcast. All right, and if you're but... in a K League, he gets a big boost. Who else gets close yes, to a 10K for nine? Of course, of course he does. Of course he does. I'm not. I'm not arguing that. I, I I agree. The K rate's great, and at a four ERA with those sorts of Ks, yes, he's going to be valuable. Okay, but so is he going to be top twenty five? The thing is, though, is I don't see a skill decline, right? So I, 
I just don't buy that he's he's this bad. That's that's my thing, right? I don't think he's that actually that bad. Okay, and I, and that's fine. You can have that opinion, and you know people can take him wherever they want. <laughs> but the fact is, you made the argument. Okay, fine. May is gone. We take May away. Sure. And he's still a four ERA pitcher. Yep. And you're taking him as a top twenty five guy. Okay, so what's the difference between him and Chris Archer then? Chris Archer has uh, – well, Chris Archer has never thrown a full season of 4.7 whatever ERA ball. All right, but you just said take away May. So let's take away May and then compare him to Chris Archer. He's got very exactly. similar – Again, but, you're taking, but now you're taking away the, the month that you're, you're just arbitrarily taking away a month. So fine, let's take away Tanaka's But you just arbitrarily month. removed the month two a second ago. Now you don't want to. Let's how, did take I, it how, did I, how did I remove a, arbitrarily remove a month? I, I'm taking your argument. All right. And you asked right. me your right. argument. And, wait, wait, wait. And let me, let me, let me, let me slow this down. Let me slow this down. Right. We're arguing about ERA, right? The, ult, the ultimate argument is, Nick, you and I don't think there's a skill decline, which caused the ERA. Pat, you're a little bit more skeptical because of the ballpark, and you think there is a little bit more. Correct. Well, yeah, and the fastball is bad, so he's relying completely upon throwing seventy percent off-speed and breaking stuff. Oh, yeah, which I don't think is sustainable this... either. Yeah, that doesn't work in this day and age either, right? Well, there's not too many guys that do that, Nick. Richel, if you can find me another one, no. All right, yo, these Yankees, man, we are getting fired up about Yankees. Nope. Richel does not throw 70% breaking stuff. That's that's not correct. But okay. So, I mean, that's my other point when it comes to Tanaka is, yes, his approach was successful from a swing and miss perspective, but how long can he last throwing 70% breaking stuff? I, I wonder. And neither of you are concerned about that. No, because no. the swinging strike is so sexy. It, so the K per nine was, was deserved. Just put that together with – all three years in the past where he had a sub three, five ERA. Yeah. I mean, he's just got such a long track record of doing it. I know. I like, like, and, and the home runs per nine were way, way, way up, like super, super, super up. Like bring it down, like, like down to 1.41. It's a completely different ball game. He's not even 30. I know. Okay. All right, fine. You guys are okay with taking a guy with a four. Yeah. We're we're okay with taking Chris Archer too. It's the same argument. It's not the same argument because Chris Archer has never had that result, but that's okay. What do you mean? Chris Archer was 4.07 last year, ERA. Okay, that's not a 4.7. Um, but, okay, we'll move it along. Top tw- the number 25 starting pitcher, Alex Wood, 98.93. Among pitchers with 150 innings, Wood was fifth in Major League Baseball in ERA, the 2.72. However, he cooled considerably down the stretch. Are you buying at this price, or does his track record for inconsistency and injury scare you off? Uh, no, I'm buying. I, I, I'm in on Alex Wood for sure. And we, I think we've all. I know me and you, Pat. I don't. I don't think Joey. Joey, how do you feel about Alex Wood in the past? Uh, in the past, I like him. I don't like him at this price, though. Okay. Well, I I do, and I, and I don't see how you can't like him at this price. Really, um, the K per nine is good. He's brought it way up from uh, where he was in uh, 2015. Um, and I think it's safe to say that he'll be right around that nine-ish area in that number. And it comes with a good ratio. He doesn't really walk guys. 
And it's going to come with he – he's got good defense. The ERA should be probably around 3.40. I haven't projected for, like, I think what people are projecting Jake Arrieta for, which is, like, uh, a three-point – a low threes ERA, a nice K rate, not so many walks. And I think it's – I think you get good return at this value. And last year he was – I mean, a 2.72 ERA with a 9K to walk – I mean, I'm sorry, with a 9K per nine and that good a walk ratio, like – it's kind of up there in the elite territory. I, I like to see what he could do in a 200 innings pitched year. Would start out last year like a house of fire, but in August his velocity declined, um, and so did his Ks. Uh, would claim that the velocity increase in the first place came from a mechanical change. Uh, the issue would be whether he can now train himself to sustain that velocity with those mechanics. That's it. Would doesn't even need to get back to the peak from last year. He can live at 91, 92 with an excellent breaking pitch and good off-speed stuff. Uh, his funky delivery plays a role as he's able to induce grounders and weak contact with it. Um, my primary concern with Wood, though, is, is that he's on a team that's got a lot of pitching depth, and he's they've put him in the bullpen before. So I'm concerned that it could be one bad month and then suddenly he's a long man again. Um, I'm, I'm not as concerned about injury. I think it's fatigue. I think it has to do with the new mechanics. Um, and I'm hoping that he can train and, and build himself up. And at a minimum, to start the year, he should be fine because he was fine last year um, if it is fatigue. So this might be a guy you look at at spring training, and if he's back to pump in 93 – you can at least draft him and look at him kind of like you look at Otani, but what Joe said before, where if he's pumping 93 and it's the middle of May and he's got the results, then maybe you pull the trigger and deal him. And, and then you don't have to worry if the fatigue is going to set in and you sell him at the top of the market. Um, but that's my big concern with what he probably has the biggest downside of any pitcher we've talked about tonight because he can turn into a zero by May 15th. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so with no more information right now, that's why I have him lower than this ADP, and I don't like it. Um, if if I get some more information in spring training, like Pat mentioned, right, then I can get closer. I still don't have him at 25, though, even, even with the Velo. Yeah, I've got him closer to 30, definitely. Okay, let's look at the next two guys together. Jose Berrios, 99.55, and Luis Castillo, 100.74. These guys are going back-to-back. Back. Do you prefer Berrios or Castillo straight up? Uh, so I prefer Castillo, Joe. Yeah, this is a no-brainer. It's Castillo. Yeah, yeah I, and- I like Castillo, too. I, I like the grounders and the whiffs over the fly balls. Yeah, and so- I, I, think, I think a year ago, like I would have, de- I would have said, there's no way this is going to happen. Like I'm all about Berrios, but for some reason he hasn't translated into the bigs as good as he thought he would. As I as I thought he would. Uh, looking at him uh, in the minors and looking at footage of him coming up, I was really excited about Berrios. I thought that he was going to translate really, really well, and the whiffs would would uh, uh, translate as well. But they just haven't. Uh, he's got a really, really good curveball, but for some reason it's been very hittable. Uh, over the last couple of years, and the and the and the the fastball has just been completely uh, battered, inconsistent year to year as well. And he actually lost some velo on the fastball last year, uh, which is something to look at. But I do like both pitchers. 
Uh, I just think Castillo has some really crazy, ridiculous upside because, God, did you watch him pitch last year? <laughs> Stuff is just ridiculous. So, Nick, I'm taking it you don't expect Berrios to take a leap forward, right? Well, we haven't seen him make like any big gains yet. I mean, the year to year, it's kind of like been really similar. So until I see like, you know, a, 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 a so you're not projecting him for a leap forward this year. It could happen, but I, I, I take my chances on Castillo because I think the stuff is better right now. Okay. Joe, do you think the market's optimism on Castillo is warranted? So uh, overall, like you had mentioned, right. Uh, uh, the 45 grade changeup coming into his his prospect grades, he figured out to make it into a real weapon with the riff, whiff rate over 20%, right? Couple that with the extreme ground ball profile, like you mentioned, Pat, at 58%. Um, there's a lot to like about the breakout. Um, the one thing I'm a little worried about is that in double A last year, he had a ground ball percentage of 39%. And I know the slider, um, the slider and the change induced a lot of those ground balls and his, his fastballs at night pumping 98. Right. So there's, there's like so much like, but I'm just worried that the, the, the home run suppression and his ground ball rate might, the home run suppression might go down and the ground ball rate might go down. And so his ERA might take a hit with that said, there's a lot to like here. And, um, I, I'm, I'm with the market. Okay, I, I think I can address your concern about the minor league ground ball rate. Okay. In the majors, he started to throw a two-seamer. And I believe that's where the grounders came from, hmm. um, that he was able to throw the pitch and get the movement on it and induce the grounders. So I think that's where... Um, the difference is between those two. But yeah, I'm with Castillo, definitely. Okay, John Lester, 28th. Um, after three really good years in a row, Lester struggled last season. Why did he struggle, and do you think there's any reason that he would bounce back? Well, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that Ross is the big change, correct? And two Lester, words, David Ross. Yeah, it's obviously David Ross. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, having said that, I do think there is room for improvement as far as the ERA goes. And if you couple that with um, his ratios, his K per nine and his walks, uh, Lester could be uh, productive. I just kind of question his upside at this point. I think we've seen the best from Lester, you know, what he did in 2014, 2015. And he could come kind of close to it. But I just think there are other guys with higher upside and safer floors at this point. Yeah, right. So I... Uh, the the fans at 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 Fangraphs have him projected for a three nine six ERA. Steamers got him projected for a three nine one, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I just don't see it. Right? I he, we had touched about this about the the uh, the David Ross effect last year. How uh, without Ross, he was something like well above a four ERA pitcher. So I just can't see myself projecting him for under a four ERA. And dude, at 28, I mean, we were just talking about Berrios, right? I don't like Berrios over Castillo, but I definitely like Berrios over Lester, like a lot over Lester. Um, the, the the strikeout rate, the strikeout rate's gonna be there, but I, I don't know. I I just can't get behind drafting a guy that I already have pegged for 
just about a league average ERA at 28 when there's just so many other yeah. pitchers yeah. that that have potential. Okay, let's move to Kyle Hendricks, 29th, 113.09. Despite producing really good results, Hendricks still clearly has his doubters. Are you among them, and why? So I sort of am one of his doubters. Um, he finished the year really strong last year, but I, I think the reason he re- why he regained a fair bit of velocity was because he sat out for – essentially two months in June and July where he combined 13 innings across the two months. So um, do I think he's 4.09 ERA first half bad? Uh, No, because he had a really low strand rate when the last two years he's been up around 82% uh, in that first half, it was 74.1. But do I think he's 2.19 and regained the K rate good? No, because I think, um, if he pitches a whole year, he's going to wear down a bit, and I don't think he'll get that same velocity boost. Um, so I'm just not into it here. Um, I think the ERA will end up being like 3.4, um, which is higher than he's ever been. Um, granted, I owned him last year, so I'm skeptical. Um, that's my take. All right. Well, let's... Let's just wind the clocks back. The last three years, Hendricks is eighth in Major League Baseball among starters in ERA. He is 20th in ground ball percentage. He is fourth in soft contact percentage. He allows, he's ninth in terms of lowest hard contact allowed. Hendricks has elite contact management skills. And he's got a defense behind him that lets him take advantage of it in Chicago. His elite command allows him to overcome what is extremely subpar velocity. Joe made the case that the velocity last year um, fell off because of workload. I'm going to make the contrary argument, which is Hendricks was hurt. He went on the DL. He got healthy and started throwing closer to where he should have been to begin with. The results were there. He had a 2.19 ERA. His Ks were over 8 per 9. His hard contact percentage was down nearly 10%. The changes in those results are not outside the norm. That's what Hendricks has done in the past. Maybe not to that ERA extent, but again, he's 8th in Major League Baseball over the last three years. He is a pitcher that has produced results. The anomaly was in the first half, not the second half. In terms of fantasy, I think Hendricks might be the most underrated pitcher. Um, In 2016, he was top 10 in fantasy points on CBS. In 2017, if you prorated his totals, he would have been 25th. Um, I think he's a total steal at this price. I have him almost 10 spots higher. So I have two quick things. This is totally out of the blue. But Kyle Hendricks is a lot like Matt Cain. And did you know Matt Cain threw over 100 innings last year? I didn't know Matt Cain threw over 100 innings. But yes, I do agree that Hendricks is like Matt Kane um, because Kane was a guy that annually beat his peripherals year after year after year after year until the bottom fell out. And yeah, the bottom will fall out on Hendricks at some point. It's just the nature of the beast um, when it comes to a guy. And Kane had better velocity than Hendricks ever had. But 
the the bottom will fall out on Hendricks eventually. It's just I don't think he's there yet. Like I don't think he's close to it. I think it's like another two, three years down the line. Okay, let's wrap it up with Luke Weaver, 116.23. Can he sustain a K per nine over 10 with the stringing with the swing and strike rate below 10%? Where do you put him alongside Berrios and Castillo? Yeah, I have him ranked way higher than Berrios and Castillo. Um, and Hendricks and Lester and Alex Wood and Masahiro Tanaka and Garrett Cole and Jake Arrieta. <laughs> I have him really, really high. Uh, Luke I am Weaver abs- is number one in Nick's heart. Yeah, and in everyone's hearts. How could you not love the guy? Command, command, command. He's probably got – he's top in the league in that department. Um, and as far as the string, string and white, swinging strike rate goes – I know. I've had trouble saying it tonight. Yeah. Um, you know, he lives off a of command, so he really just paints the corners, and he's going to strike out with location uh, over uh, actual stuff and breaking stuff. But having said that, his breaking stuff is really, really, really good. Uh, the changeup and curveball are absolutely off the charts. I think they're going to get only better as the years go by, and he messes with his pitch mix here and there. Um, this kid has all the tools to be a top pitcher in the league. I compare him – Right now, he has kind of Madison Bumgarner-esque qualities about him, except I just – I don't know. I'm I'm absolutely wild. I think in the future he could be a top-five pitcher, and I think this year he's going to be right up there with all those guys, Cindergaard, you name it. He's going to turn in a friggin' monster season. And that ERA 3.88 from last year is going to come way down to like a 3.15-ish. Yeah, I, I don't know about Weaver's – Caper nine being over ten, but I could see it at nine plus, um, because as Nick mentioned, the command is pl- is double plus, and he's capable of getting called strikes, which is a repeatable skill, and we know that Yadier Molina can steal some strikes for him. Um, I have him as the second guy in this class of young pitchers. I have Castillo in front. Um, he's got Castillo. I think has more ceiling, but if I had to place the bet on floor, I think I would take Weaver. Um, he's got ground balls and Ks like Castillo. Um, and he's, I have a little more faith in his command than I have in Castillo's. Um, so I, I love Weaver. I think he's, I, I have him five spots higher. I have him right around 25. Um, I think that he's in for a very, very nice year. I just worry that there might be somebody in the draft like Nick, that's maybe a little too optimistic. But, you know, I, I do see his upside that Nick is talking about, though. So I, I'm with you, Pat, right? I have Castillo, Weaver. I have Weaver at 24. My question for you both is, so last year he pitched a career-high 138 innings. Um, where do you guys have him for innings projected this year? 180. Yeah, I think he'll be right around the 180 mark. 180. Okay. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Um, We'll be back next week with the second part of our starting pitcher preview. Um, Guys, you have anything to add to the guys we talked about tonight, or are we uh, wrapped? Uh, We're wrapped. Masahiro Tanaka is the best, and that's about it. Hit us us up on Twitter, JoeFWO, (laughs) and – Join the Elvis Andrews fan club. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter, Nick FWO. I tweet once a week about fantasy baseball, once a week about PUBG. 
yeah. I'm, you can find me on Twitter at Patrick FWL, and what you won't find on Twitter is me yelling at Nick about posting about video games. Um, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Later. <laughs>